Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CageSidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back at the apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 31. Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw. We'll be breaking down that as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Where we'll also give you an underdog that we think will make your wallet fat and a parlay that we think will make you some extra bucks. In addition to that, I'll also be giving you guys the interviews you always want to hear. Kicking off the show today, I'm going to be talking to Adrian Yanez, who gives a shout out to the folks on MMA Twitter for booking his fight with Randy Costa and promoting his fight with Randy Costa. So we talk about all of that as well as the fight itself. And a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be talking to Dre Miley, who fights for XMMA 2 on July 30th. He's talking both about getting to the big show and fighting with just one eye, which is absolutely interesting perspective from his part about how he feels about it after all of these years. And we'll get to all of that great content for you. But first, I have to mention that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas and browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. If you head on over there, you can see my picks this week. That's right. I give you some bonus selections each and every week that you can only see on the Top Turtle MMA podcast page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready, the fighters are ready, listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me now is Adrian Yanez, who fights Randy Costa at UFC in the Apex on July 24th. So, Adrian, I wanted to start here. This fight seemingly comes together largely due to, if I'm not mistaken, largely due to Twitter, right? Because, you know, somebody mentioned that they'd like to see you guys fight each other. You both seem to be into it. And then Twitter blows up trying to get the UFC to book this. First for Houston, and then eventually for this fight card. What is it like to have a match made in front of you by seemingly thousands and thousands of fans? Man, honestly, it, it, at first it was it was kind of a weird. It was kind of weird because I was like, man, I was like, I this is the biggest. Uh, this was the biggest stage or like the biggest like time for for even like me to have fans or like the the support from MMA Twitter or anything like that. Uh, so to see how big it blew up, like within the, within like, honestly, it was like within 30 minutes, somebody says like, man, you versus Randy Costa would be, would be great. And, you know, it went from one person saying it to another person saying, it. and I was all watching this in real time because I was, it was like, like I had just got done with the fight with Gustavo. I was on my way back to the hotel and I was just looking to see, uh, you know, just to respond to people. And then next thing you know, like it just starts going and going and going. And I see Randy reply to it and I was like, and I would I wasn't opposed with it either. I was like, man, I'm like I'm trying to get a fight in Houston, so if we can do this as soon as possible, I'm ready to go. And then next thing you know, it takes it takes off and just like 
that's the first time that's ever happened. Like uh, a fight made on Twitter was like, <laughs> and it it came super easy, and uh, it was actually like really cool to be to uh, for that to happen and just even be a part of it and just to kind of watch it in real time how big it blew up. Yeah, it, it was absolutely amazing too. But the other thing here, now I gotta ask, is that. You know, lots of fighters have agreed to fights on Twitter, right? Sometimes some of the fans have gotten behind it. Maybe never like this before, but sometimes fans get behind those as well. The other thing is getting it actually booked, right? Because, like, that, there's two sides to it. Like, if, if you had your way, you would have been booked in Houston. How much of your, your management's involvement was this, or was the pressure on the UFC to do this outside of Twitter? Well, it, honestly, it was... Uh... Like, cause right after, right after the fight, my manager asked me, he's like, how serious are you about, about Houston? And I was like, I am super serious. Like, I, like, I'm down to like, like send me the contract over tonight. And it was like still within the hour of after I fought. And, and he was like, well, was like, all right, cool. Let me go with Sean Shelby and uh, we'll start, we'll start working on it. Cause you got Randy Costa, like Randy, like, would you want Randy? I was like, yeah, of course he's, he's asking for it. I'm asking for it. I think like it, it works. It works, and we tried to get with Sean Shelby, and then uh, at first it was like, yeah, well, we we can definitely put him on, but then uh, come to find out, like they got back to us, like, well, we accidentally booked that whole entire card uh, like two weeks ago, and it was like, I was like, like we're we're kind of a little bit late on it from being from getting booked, so it was like, uh, it was understandable, but also with the fights that fell off, I was like, man, we we could have got back on there, and it could have been a short short notice. Uh, on for UC two six two, but the you know Texas and the marijuana stuff and like yeah it, it, yeah the the commission still punishes you for uh, for marijuana. To me, it's completely stupid. But uh, uh, no, like it, it was it was everything was seeming seemingly on the way to being made. It was just like honestly, it's just like the, the fact that we didn't get to be on UC two six two. Because we had originally got the contract for July 24th, but we we're trying to push it up forward, and we we're doing everything we could, but it just just didn't happen. Especially with the fights that fell off last minute uh, for the UFC uh, the week of, and we we're gonna try to make it, but the you know the commission, the Texas commission, the weed laws. <laughs> yeah, that, that that certainly makes sense. So is it is it a little bit of a blessing in disguise then, not, not just because of the Texas commission and in their handling of. Uh, recent changes in practice, but also training camp wise. Do you feel like the extra two weeks possibly is a blessing to you in preparing for this? Or would you have preferred, you know, a very short training camp for Randy Costa? Man, honestly, I, I to me, it was either, either one was fine with me. I, I didn't mind it at all. Cause I had, I had never, I had never stopped training after, after my fight. So I was like, I was already in shape. So I just needed to continue to get in shape. So it was just one of those that like, uh, do I want to go now or do I want to go later? And I was just like, I'd rather go now rather than later. But uh, I'm kind of actually glad that we get to fight on July 24th because, man, this fight card is pretty stacked. Uh, it would have been cool to fight in my hometown, but uh, being able to fight on this kind of a big, bigger of a uh, fight night, you know, get to fight on the Corey Sanhagen versus Tina Dillashaw undercard is, is pretty cool. And then also, it just got more time to build. Like, the, the fight just started building up a little bit more, which is even sweeter in my eyes because like man like you got people this week start being like oh man randy costa versus adrian Giannis is next week man i can't really believe this is about to happen those mentions have been blowing up on my twitter so man it's 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 cool like it's just like it the build up and the like the 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 amount of more that 
it got to build up because of it being July 24th. It, it, it got, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to watch, too. Yeah, and, and not just not just people mentioning that they're excited for the fight, because it is an absolute banger of a fight, which we'll talk about in a second, but the, there's also, like, a bunch of fan art there about, like, you know, fan art posters with the Reese's and the Dr. Pepper stuff. What, what has it been like seeing, you know, like, countless pieces of fan art of yourselves all over Twitter and all over Instagram lately? Man, it's it's honestly, like, man, I, I, I have really been appreciating it all over. Uh, I've been... I, I recently posted up uh, one somebody that somebody posted up, but I lost their tag and I I can't remember. I was like trying to find out who it was and I was going through everywhere. But uh, man, there's just been a lot of back and forth, a lot of fo- photoshops, <laughs> a lot of photoshops, a, a lot of uh, you know cool art. Like my favorite one is a uh, is one that where it's me me facing off against Randy and it's uh it's a uh, uh, cartoon characters of ourselves and it's actually us. Then like it's uh my side is Dr Pepper his side is uh, Reese's and I think it was made by it was made by somebody on Instagram and Twitter uh named uh, I'm sorry if I butcher her name but uh N R N I R Z A N I believe I don't know if she has it spelled I yeah it's like I'm I'll butcher it so uh she did she did a phenomenal job with that and then also there's a lot of other people that have been uh you know, making their own, and they've all been phenomenal. Uh, one of my favorite Photoshop's one is uh, whenever uh, Diego Sanchez is going with, going through all that Joshua Fabia stuff, and someone posted a picture of me being uh, Joshua Fabia and Randy Costa being Diego Sanchez. You know, whenever he's hanging upside down, getting punched in the face. <laughs> that, that that one that one was my favorite, just because I was like, that's eh, a good spin. Yeah, it, it is all been very hilarious to watch unfold. Now, I got to ask, too, because, you know, you're doing all this back and forth with Randy Costa. It seems like you two genuinely like each other, too. Is this like the first time in history you're going into a fight with with seemingly like a I'm not going to say a friendship, but like a seemingly good relationship with the guy you're about to fight? Man, you know what? You know, it's actually uh, super, super crazy. It's not the first time for me. It's uh, it's this will probably be the probably the third time if anything uh because my my amateur debut i ended up fighting this guy named nico echeverry uh who's actually still fighting he was uh he was the fury fighting championship uh lightweight champ uh and i fought him and he ended up being really cool and we like actually like would message each other back and forth and then come to find out our second fight like we ended up fighting the second time as an amateur at 45 and then like I was like, man, he's just such a really cool guy. But that didn't change that we're gonna go in there and uh, try to go in there and uh, beat each other up. And you know, he was like, honestly, I would say like we we were like the back and forth that me and Randy have, like it's 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 cool. Uh, but I have this uh, like I actually have a friend in Nico. Like he's a he's a he's a buddy. You know, I, every time I see him, I'd be able to go and talk to him. Like we can shoot the shit and everything, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, and then the last one was Carlos Strada. He was super nice. He, like took selfies with took a selfie with each other at Wayne's and everything so uh it's pretty cool uh but also this one's actually very unique because it's like all of MMA Twitter is like going nuts about it because they were like oh man these guys are being really really friendly and you know what like honestly if I were to see Randy probably after the fight I'm pretty sure we'd be able to go hang out and chill and shoot the shit because he seems like a really really cool guy uh so I wouldn't I wouldn't mind being friends we can have a beer or something uh you know he'll have his recess i'll have my dr pepper and uh you know go on about our lives 
Well, that certainly sounds like a heck of a time after the fight. So let's really quickly talk about the fight itself, too. Because this come together both because you guys are fan favorites, both for the way that you interact with fans, but also your style. Your styles are, are so much fun to watch in the cage because you both go in there and throw, and you're both seemingly looking for a knockout every single time you fight. And both of you have, have scored some absolute highlight reels in the UFC already. So I got to ask you, how do you feel about going up against somebody whose style is so much like your own and how confident do you feel that that you're the one who's going to catch his chin oh yeah i i absolutely i find this find this style matchup like extremely exciting because you it's it's one of those that like man you have to be on your p's and q's you can't mess up it's like you got to score a hundred on this test every single time so it's uh it's it's exciting for me like i love the challenge that's in front of me uh, you know he's tough, he's durable, and uh, he, and you know he doesn't he doesn't stop coming forward. He wants to keep uh, putting the pressure in your face, in your face. Uh, but also kind of taking that into account is that like most of his fights have only gone into the like, it, it, they've only ended in the first round. Uh, the second one where he lost was to Brandon Davis, and like it kind of shows a little bit of a pattern and. I'm liking what I'm seeing. I, I believe I'm I'm going to be the guy that comes out on top because I've been able to go three rounds and still finish somebody. So I like I I can keep my pace up going the whole entire time, and I don't mind. I like I, I I can take I can take a I can take a really good punch as well, but I don't plan on showing it, and that's pretty much where I'm at. I, I believe my skills. Uh, I I feel like in the standard department, I feel like I set everything up a, lo- a little bit better than what his with, than what his does, and I think that's that's the amount that I'm going to need just a little bit more. I just need to be a little bit better. And after that, like I think, I think everything else sets itself in place because I'm already in great shape and you know, he's a great fighter. I'm a, I'm a great fighter myself, but I think at the end of the day, I, I feel like I'm overall the better fighter. And is that the way you see it getting done with the, the overall style of your game? Or do, do you see this being the kind of the fight that some of the people are, are drooling over that this is just a, uh, knock him down, drag him out, first one to hit the chin kind of wins? Or or do you see yourself using you know, all parts of MMA here and getting the win that way? Oh, no, absolutely. I, I feel like it is. Like, I'm, I'm, not, the, I'm not the guy that's going to shoot in. I'm not the guy that's going to be the wrestler. Like, I, I'm, I'm, my style, like, even whenever times get tough, I am that guy that will continue to walk forward and throw shots. Like, it's, insane. Like it's almost like the same type of style, but we're both different. Like, I'm more of hands. He's more he's – more, He's more feet. And, and like, honestly, if you wa- go back and watch that Kyle Estrada fight, times are getting tough. I didn't even think about a shot. I just kept going and trying to walk him down and try to punch him in the face. And that's the same. That's honestly the same same game plan is gonna, probably going to go against the, uh, Brandon Costa. You know, he's he's going to try to put me in, in some spots, and he's going to try to knock me out, just like how Kyle Estrada did. And I'm, and I'm going to go in there and just walk him down. Like, I, I don't plan on taking a step back. So I think with him not wanting to take a step back and me not wanting to take a step back, it is just inevitable that we're just going to start fighting. Like it's just inevitable that it's going to be a barn burner, anyways. But uh, even then, with all the skills that I possess, like I still feel like I'm the better fighter. Even in the stand-up department, I feel like I'm I'm the better striker. So I think that overall was still me being me triumphant in this win. And so I got to ask you before I let you go for a prediction. Do you see yourself getting the knockout? And if so, how does it come? Oh, I believe it's going to be a second round, second round knockout, second round knockout. Uh, pretty much whatever he presents me at the time, and I, I feel like I, 
I feel confident in that. You know, he's he's tough. You know, he's he's a really tough fighter, really great fighter as well. Uh, but I just feel like I'm 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 on I'm on one right now. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Adrian Yanez who fights Randy Costa at UFC in the Apex on July 24th. Adrian, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Adrian Yanez. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, after last weekend, some people were saying a title shot is really the destination for Islam. Some people also saying maybe he didn't look as hot as he was kind of promised to be. How do you see him doing against the division's elites when he does finally get that much-deserved crack at, a you know, say, a top-five guy? Yeah, he, he's going to do absolutely fine against the top five guy. I think we've been conditioned somewhat to, you know, the Conor McGregor and Israel Adesanya rises to the top with flashy knockouts and overly dominant, powerful performances. But I will remind people that even Habib had a very calculated run of wins on his way to the title, and it wasn't until his last three fights where you saw, you know, finish after finish after finish. And I'm make no mistake, I mean, Makhachev got the finish. It just didn't come in a Brock Lesnarian or Ronda Rousey in during their peaks, like where it was in three minutes and fits perfectly into an Instagram video. He's calculated, you know, and he does what he needs to to win. Um, maybe it takes him a little time just to get a little warmed up. It was also his first main event, too. So there's something to that. So you asked me a question. How will he do against top five guys? He'll do fine. Can't wait to see it. It's going to be a high-level chess match. It's going to be great. That being said, I don't need him to fight for the title right now. I think he still has some room to advance and mature and evolve, um, which is crazy to say, you know, for someone who's like 19 and one, but there still is room for growth. So let's see him against someone else. You know, I I like the idea of him versus like a Michael Chandler, uh, whoever you want to throw out there. I don't mind him not fighting for a title just yet. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't I don't think he needs to fight for a title yet, but I will say, too, I, I have a little bit of questions about whether or not, because people are going to draw the Habib comparisons, right? There, there's 150 million reasons to draw it in addition to where he's from and who he trained under and the fact that Habib is now his head coach. Those comparisons are going to come all the time no matter what. But here's my question for you, like, Tiago Moises took down Makachev once, right? Makachev also only went three of six on takedowns against Tiago Moises. And not for anything, Tiago Moises gave up a higher percentage of takedowns against Bobby Green or Benil Dariush. Like, I'm not saying that he's not impressive in his grappling, but I don't think we ever saw Habib have that much trouble with. And granted, it wasn't a lot of trouble, right? Because he did get him down three out of six times and look good doing it. I don't think we ever saw Habib have that much trouble getting people down that mu- You know, like he was dominant all the time, all the time. Habib was dominant, taking people down and finishing them with the exception of the Gleason Tebow fight like 150 years ago. I kind of want to see him against somebody who I think can stuff a couple of takedowns, you know, like, you know, granted Dustin Poirier has clearly got that, that fight booked, but you know, I'd be interested to see if he can get Dustin Poirier down for any sustained amount of time. Cause you know, Dustin, Gave Habib trouble or, you know, I'd love to see, like you said, Michael Chandler, who's got a wrestling background or, you know, anybody like that who's got some wrestling, even Gaethje, although Gaethje had a little bit harder of a time with Habib, 
those guys who who can stuff a few takedowns, I am a little bit concerned that they're going to give them trouble after seeing that that bout with Moises. Yeah, and I think that's why the instant title shot, you know, no. Let's see him against someone else and let's see that evolution and that progress. And, you know, I don't think we've seen Makachev even in his final form. I think he's peaking but hasn't peaked yet, if that makes sense. And there's something to be said for, you know, there was a time there. Listen, Habib, extremely dominant, obviously, and maybe you could have had him fight for the UFC title in his fourth UFC fight, and he would have been just fine. But, you know, I think even he would say there was something to that kind of progression and evolution. I mean, fighting different styles and then really honing in on what his style was. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I think it's all good, and I think the division's absolutely stacked, and you can mix and match any of the top ten and you have my money. I'm going to be watching. Yeah, and I think you could probably even extend it past the top 10 because there's tons of exciting guys in that, like, 11 to 15 range, too. I'm pretty sure, and I don't have the rankings right in front of me, I'm pretty sure you're still looking at guys like Gregor Gillespie and Brad Riddell in, in that level, which is, man, you know, they're not ready to fight, you know, Dustin Poirier next, but, man, they are up there as well. Yeah, division is absolutely stacked. I'll tell you what else is stacked. It's this week's edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, our favorite segment on the show. We're going to be breaking down a couple of fights, giving you some live dogs, and giving you a parlay to play. But before we get to it, Gumby, who sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays? Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by MyBookie. In the world of sports, the offseason is a time to relax and regroup after a hard-fought season, but playing with MyBookie gives you a chance to decide when your season begins and ends. At MyBookie.ag, you can bet on hundreds of games and leagues from around the world. Whether it's a game-day parlay or a long-shot winner, MyBookie has got you covered. Use game pre-game props or bet the game live to shift the odds in your favor and always come out on top. And not only does MyBookie host exclusive betting contests that you can't find with any other book, but the bonuses are insane. And speaking of bonuses, if you sign up today with MyBookie and use our promo code TOPTURTLE, you'll receive up to $1,000 in bonus money when you make your first deposit. That's up to 1000 bucks in extra cash when you make your first deposit with MyBookie using promo code TOPTURTLE. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie.ag. My bookie, my bookie, my bookie. I love my bookie, and they bring you all the odds that we're breaking down today. Corey Sanhagen is a minus 180 favorite to TJ Dillashaw, the returning TJ Snakeashaw, who is a plus 150 dog. Oh, TJ, where do we even begin? The former 135-pound champion was on a four-fight win streak after losing his bantamweight championship to Dominic Cruz, beat Rafa Sunsau, beat John Lineker, beat Cody Garbrandt to re-win the UFC bantamweight title, beat Cody Garbrandt to defend the UFC bantamweight title, and then this dude decided to drop down to flyweight. He wanted to be the two-division champ, make his way into the history books, and he promptly got TKO'd to Henry Cejudo in January of 2019, but the pain doesn't stop there. Snakeashaw tested positive in both pre- and post-fight for drugs. Drugs are bad, kids. And I'm talking about the performance-enhancing kinds. It's a no-no. The guy had a two-year suspension, and now he's back, the former champion. Corey Sandhagen is absolutely surging. He lost Aljamain Sterling via rear naked choke back in June of 2020 and then came back with huge wins over Marlon Moraes via TKO, 
and a massive highlight reel KO flying knee over Frankie Edgar, the legend, the mafia Don of the UFC. I don't even like to see that highlight because I like Frankie Edgar. Before the Aljamain Sterling fight, he had won uh, a boatload of fights in a row, beating the likes of John Lineker, uh, Mario Batista, Rafa Sansao. Clearly, the tops of the division has a huge reach advantage against almost anyone at 135 pounds, very tall and lanky uh, for the division. Dillashaw, once one of the great striking artists in the UFC and certainly of 135 pounds, uh, we don't know what to necessarily expect off a two-year layoff, so I am of the belief that ring rust is overrated. However, it makes sense that he would be the plus 150 due to the layoff. Uh, who you got here? I agree with you. I think ring rust is a little bit overrated. And if I'm looking at this line, I actually do see more value on TJ Dillashaw's side because I, I think ultimately this fight is pretty close to being even. If, if we're thinking about the same TJ Dillashaw we last saw, which maybe not last saw because we only saw 29 seconds in that or 31 seconds or something like that. Um, and that and that was too much. It was too much of a weight cut too. Right. So I agree with you. What we last saw of him at 135 was brilliant. Was br- exactly it was brilliant. So if we if we're comparing that TJ Dillashaw to this Corey Sanhagen, man, that that's probably a pretty close to a pick'em fight here. Uh, you know the 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 layoff maybe makes him a slight favorite, but this is a pretty substantial favorite here. So I'm gonna start by saying I don't really like this line for Corey Sanhagen. But gun to my head, that's who I'm picking to win this fight. Um, I, I think the reach actually might be a problem here for TJ Dillashaw. And like I said, I'm with you in agreeing that ring rust is probably a little bit overrated. But one of the things that you do see with fighters when they have had large time off is a little bit more trouble finding the range of somebody, right? Like, Because, you know, usually you got to pump that jab out and feel it and, and get into range. And that takes a while in, in any fight sometimes. And it's always going to take a lot of time against somebody like Corey Sandhagen, who, like you mentioned, is so damn long. So when you add those things together, I, I think that's going to give Sandhagen a lot of early success. Um, in addition to that, dude, he, like if TJ does decide to, to try to implement some of his wrestling games, he's going to have that clinch game of, of Sandhagen to deal with. You know, there's a possibility of him eating some knees. I, I just think that Corey Sandhagen sticks around long enough in this one, wins enough rounds. I don't know if he gets him out of there, but I can see him winning three or four rounds here in a five-round decision. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think, well, I, it's just what you said. I think ring rust is overrated, as I started at the top of this. But to come back to someone like a Sanhagen with that reach, I think that's a really tall order. Uh, and it's one of those things where if TJ comes out here and looks fucking phenomenal and does great, I'll say to myself, yep, should have seen it coming. Or if Sanhagen dominates and, you know, takes his three out of five or maybe even four to one for rounds, I, you know, I don't necessarily see a finish for him, but that'll make sense to me too. So it's a pick em fight in a lot of ways. You just have these questions about Dillashaw with the long layoff. So I think you broke that down perfectly. Aspen Ladd is a minus 210 favorite. We're getting these odds on my bookie, my bookie, my bookie. And she'll be fighting Macy Chason, a plus 170 dog. Our girl Macy is coming off back-to-back wins over Shana Young and Marion Renault, who just retired uh, via Misha Tate. But that's another story for another day. And Aspen Ladd uh, is on a no-fight win streak. She's won one in a row, so not not a win streak yet, but she beat Yana Kaniskaya. 
She lost to Jermaine Durandamy before that. Wins over Sajara Eubanks, Tanya Evinger before that. Um, nine and one as a pro, and in the UFC, she is four and one, and thus the favorite here. Who you taking? You know, I really like Macy Chiasson, and I think, you know, possibly down the line, she could possibly be a title challenger in her own right, but I'm still going to take Aspen Ladd in this one. Um, look, Aspen Ladd seems to get better every single time out. You know, we mentioned the long layoff of uh, TJ Dillashaw. She's actually had a long layoff herself while she's dealt with some injuries, but uh, look, I'll say this, with the exception of, of getting caught by Jermaine Durandamy, who might be, you know, one of the better strikers at the Bantamweight division, or probably the best striker in the Bantamweight division, She's got a really good grappling and clinch game. Um, you know, she took Yana Kunitskaya down a bunch of times. She took Sajara Eubanks down a bunch of times. She took Lena Landsberg down and pounded her out from the ground. Like, she's not only got good hands, but that clinch game and, and takedown game is incredible. So, uh, when you look at that against somebody like Macy Chason, when you look back at her last loss, where she really just got taken down and dominated by Lena Landsberg, even Marion Renault took her down a couple of times and, and was holding positions. Enough to make that fight kind of close. Um, you know, you know, she lost a round to Marianne Renault, who seemingly hadn't really won very many rounds in the, the recent future. You know, her takedown defense is up in the air, kind of questionable. I, I just think Aspen Ladd does enough on the feet, and if she runs into any trouble from Macy Chason, you're going to see her work that clinch and takedown game, and she's going to win whatever round she needs to with that. I love that you are giving the proper French pronunciation to Macy Chayasson. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, now, is Macy Chayasson your favorite Macy in the UFC, or is it Macy Barber? Who do it, you like better? It's definitely Macy Chayasson. <laughs> uh, you prefer Macy Chayasson. All right. Well, interestingly enough, Macy Barber is a minus 105, and she'll be fighting Miranda Maverick, who's minus 125. Um, so odds makers barely know what to make of this fight. Miranda Maverick is, uh, a much hyped prospect and deservedly so since coming into the UFC, she's two and oh, wins over Jillian Robertson and Liana Jujua, uh, and Macy Barber, not Macy Chayasan, but Macy Barber is on a two fight losing streak herself with losses to Roxanne Matafari, the veteran and Alexa Grasso. Before that, she beat the aforementioned Jillian Roberts. She beat J.J. Aldrich. She beat Hannah Cyphers. So she is 3-2 and two in the UFC. Again, these odds are provided by my bookie, who we love, Macy Barber, minus 105, Miranda Maverick, minus 125. Vegas barely knows what to make of this fight. What do you make of this fight? I think Vegas is crazy because this one, for me, is all Miranda Maverick, and it's not even close. Look, a lot of people wrote off that loss for Macy Barber against uh, Roxanne based on the takedowns that she got with the, the leg injury. And, and you, you can write that off if you want. But the fact of the matter was she was having a really tough time in the clinch and with takedowns of Roxanne Matafari. And now she's going to fight a woman who is maybe the strongest woman in the 125-pound division in Miranda Maverick. She is an absolute beast, and her wrestling is phenomenal. And her striking keeps getting better. I actually think she could beat Barber on the feet, too, if she wanted to. And she certainly could beat the hell out of her on the ground. She's basically, you know, and I've made this comparison before, and, and when, when I talked to her, you know, a week or two ago, she even mentioned that she's been inspired by Tatiana Suarez her whole career. She sort of feels like the Tatiana Suarez of this division, which, of course, now has Tatiana Suarez in it anyway. But, like, she's got that takedown, ground-and-pound style game. 
I think that's a nightmare for Macy Barber in it. Negative 125. My goodness, if you're not betting Miranda Maverick and bumping that number way up, you should be soon. Well, we might as well talk about it now. Our parlay to play would be Miranda Maverick and pairing her with Jordan Williams, who's minus 195. Pair those two favorites together. It does get you plus 172 odds. Break that down for us. So, like I said, Miranda Maverick, just an absolute steal at negative 125. Uh, I will probably start a lot of the parlays that I play with her in it uh, because I think that's just, you know, it gets a beautiful number to start by playing. Um, I think she's going to absolutely roll over Macy Barber with 150 takedowns if she wants. And speaking of 150 takedowns, that's the other reason why I like Jordan Williams in this fight at negative 195. Um, you know, he's fighting Mickey Gall. And, and the thing about Mickey Gall is Mickey Gall has excellent grappling. And that has always been his route to a victory. But if you look at who he is fighting now, he's fighting a guy with a wrestling background who has fought up a weight class before. He's going to be the smaller guy. He's going to be the guy with a wrestling disadvantage. And if Jordan Williams decides this fight happens on the feet, I really don't see a way that Mickey Gall wins it. Mickey Gall is not winning a boxing match against anybody at welterweight right now, with the exception of if he gets a second crack at CM Punk. Like, you know, so for for that reason, I think you got to go with Jordan Williams here. And if you put those two together, plus 172 is a damn good number. Well, I'll tell you what's a damn good dog to play, or, or, or it's our dog of the week. Nasardin Amabov, a plus 120 over Ian Heinish. Let's hear it. So, yeah, I was kind of actually surprised to see Nasardin Amabov against uh, Ian Heinish come in as the underdog. But the, the fact of the matter is, is he is an excellent counter-striker. It's why he has the nickname the Sniper. He works well from the outside, controls position extremely well. I think he's probably only the underdog here because he came in against... Uh, Phil Hawes last time out and had a little bit of tough time with Phil Hawes bodying him up a bit. But as we've learned since then, Phil Hawes is an absolute animal. And I think Heinish is probably gaining a little bit of street cred here because, you know, if you look at his resume lately, it's a whole bunch of guys who are killers. Derek Brunson, Omari Akhmedov, Kelvin Gastelum, even his win over Gerald Mearshart. Those are all tough guys, but he's never fought somebody. You know, when you hear all those names, those are all like grappler boxer types, right? You know, like guys who, who look like they want to wrestle you up and are stocky. He hasn't fought a long rangey striker. And I, I just think the way that he comes forward and the way he tries to put pressure on people, I don't think it plays well against a guy like, you know, Imavov, who's got great countering. So I, I kind of expect Imavov to just, you know, keep the distance, snipe away um, and pick up an upset victory for us here. Boom. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Of course, brought to you by my bookie, my bookie, my bookie. Uh, Gumby, this train is a rumbling down the tracks. Choo-choo, where should we go next? And we're going to transition now to my interview with Dre Miley. Before we do that, I do have to mention that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it doesn't matter because you can log your training sessions, tag your training partners, add techniques, and so much more all right in the palm of your hand. Ditch that jujitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Dre Miley, and it starts right now. All right, and joining me now is Dre Miley, who fights John Sweeney at XMMA 2 on July 30th. So, 
Dre, I want to start by talking about, you know, you joining XMMA because, you know, I was looking back at your career. Your entire career was for Valor fights. What, what made you sort of start to look for somewhere else to start taking fights? Okay, yeah. So I guess it was just, uh, you know, Valor was having a hard time finding me uh, people to fight. So, you know, and fighting out of state is always a good thing because, you know, you need that, need to experience express your uh not express you need to find out more of a platform so to speak so like i needed more people to see me fight instead of just like always seeing me fight at valor because you know if you go to ufc you can go bellator they're not gonna let you fight at home all the time you're gonna be going here and there and all kinds of places so it was more of those things like let's see if we can fight on a bigger stage and get more publicity or get more people to see you and I think, too, there's not a lot of people who have heard XMMA, which makes a lot of sense because they're only on their second event. But there there should be a lot of eyes on this organization. I saw looking at the fight card, I see eight-plus UFC veterans, and I could be missing one or two on there. How, how much of that was part of the decision-making to try XMMA as well? I mean, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, who's on the card? It was more like my coach taking the fight because – that's how things work at KMA. It's like you don't fight unless the coach says yes to that particular fight. You know, um, the promoter approached me about the fight, and I was like, well, you got to talk to my coach about it. And he was like, okay, cool, we'll talk to him. And then my coach messaged me. He was like, hey, how would you like to take this fight? I think it's, a, you know, a good fight for you. You know, it's a bigger show, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I mean, if you think it's a good fight for me, then I'll take it. He's like, I think you can do it, so let's do it. And I was like, okay. So it was more so my coach knowing that that's where I need to be at, I guess, for more people to see me. So it's more so of him. Well, that that certainly sounds like it makes a lot of sense to me. Now, you know, you've mentioned wanting to be seen a couple of times here and making sure that you're visible. Is this do you feel like you're at the stage in your career right now where that's the most important thing for you is to get seen by one of these bigger companies to get snatched up? Because, you know, a lot of fighters early in their career are just trying to get that experience, trying to feel that out. But, you know, you are 12 fights into your career. You're, you know, you're 30 years old. Do you feel like this is now the time where you've got to make your big push towards the big stage? I mean, it's always a push, whether you're always gunning for it. If you're in this sport just to be an okay or regional MMA fighter, then cool. But I'm not. we're not trying to be that at KMA, we're trying to get everybody to UFC. So it didn't matter if I was 35, if I was 40, as, you know, as long as I'm putting people away and I'm having good fights, that's what I'm going to push for. So I think that's what it really boils down to. Like, I know that I belong in the UFC, given the people that I have lost to, three of them have fought in the UFC. So, you know, I feel like my skills, my skill set, it says UFC, it says Bellator. So I just want I'm trying to get to Dana White and trying to get to Sean Shelby and all those other guys. But, like, hey, pay attention to me because I just fought the dude that, you know, was you're going to give a tough spot to. You know, they tried to get Cole Farrell uh, ultimate fighter spot, and they neglected me. And he got beaten 14 seconds, and then I just KO'd the guy that he beat. So what was that really saying? It's like you totally dropped the ball on me. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, you are putting guys away at, at a pretty high rate. Now, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, probably the, the most unique aspect of you as a fighter. And, and that's the fact that you can only see out of one eye, correct? And 
I, I wanted to, to know a little bit about, first of all, how you feel either that's affected you either physically in the cage or how, how that affects you mentally, you know, with the perception of you as a fighter. Uh, in the beginning, it hurt a lot as a fighter because, like, I went to that part where, you know, I'd never done it before and I never had to work with it. So it was hard to overcome it. Um, going with people who, you know, are just studs at the time I was coming up and, you know, exploiting it. But now it's more so like it's a badge of honor. Like, I survived something that, you know, a lot of people could not come back from or would not come back from. So, yeah, at it's not as much as a burden as it is as anything. It's more of a blessing to be like, I have one eye and I'm doing better than most people who have two eyes. So I just, I just had to chalk it up as that. And, and I've also noticed that you use, you know, you, you mentioned it's a, it's sort of a badge of honor for you. I've, I've noticed that your nickname listed on tapology, the one eyed dragon, is that sort of what you're doing with that nickname? You're sort of wearing it as, as your badge of honor there. Absolutely. I mean, it's part of my brand. It's, it's who I am. I'm not just, you know, just Dre Miley, you know, a 135er trying to make it to the UFC. I'm Dre Miley, who is a one-eyed fighter trying to make it to the UFC. So it's part of who I am. It's my identity at this point. People know me as that, oh, you, you're that guy that fights for value. You're that one-eyed guy that fights for value. It's like, yeah, that's me. So it's more so of me and me being okay with it because used to I would run from the fact that, you know, I have one eye. I wouldn't go out in public. I, you know, I'd cover my face and, you know, stuff like that. Now it's just like I wear it out and I want people to say something because, yeah, it's who I am. I am that person. So it's definitely a badge of honor. Do, do you feel like that like fighting was a big turning point for you in that, that that that's part of the reason why you wear it as a badge of honor now whereas before you did feel more self-conscious about it and like you had to hide it now now knowing that you can achieve all of this that you know most p humans cannot come anywhere near close to it you know a, a record that looks like this in mma never mind being this close to you know big contract with the ufc or bellator and you're doing it all with with this so is fighting part of the reason why you feel more comfortable with it now I wouldn't even say fighting. It's more so the people that are around me that believed in me. Like my coach, Eric Turner, you know, he's just a genius. He's helped me just overcome so much stuff inside and outside the cage. So, and all my teammates, you know, we believe in each other wholeheartedly that we can all achieve greatness. So we all push each other. So there's, if you're, if you're willing to be on the bus, we, we going to help you. But if you're not willing to be on the bus, we're not going to help you. And thank God that everybody sees that I'm trying my best to, you know, help people get better. And I, I think I've done a pretty great job at that. So I have to credit it more to my team because now it's like I'm fight I fight for myself and I fight for my wife and my kids. But at the same time, I'm also fighting for the people who believed in me. I don't want people to look at me and be like, man, I should I should have wasted time on him. Like he, you know, he's a dud, blah, blah, blah. I want people to be like, because of him, I did it. Because of him, I did not stop doing what I, was, what I did. Well, I love that mentality, and I love giving props to the teammates. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this fight, too, because you're fighting John Sweeney, who, you know, while maybe not a household name for a lot of fans who will be watching XMMA, like some of the UFC guys on the card, he's a finisher like yourself. He, he's got a load of finishes on his record, and he does it in a whole bunch of different ways. And I was curious, you know, when they offered you him – how much did you know about him, and what have you learned about him since finding out he's your opponent? Oh, well, funny story is that me and him were supposed to fight. 
like last year in October. So I've already been prepared for him since last year. Uh, he didn't make what he didn't want to make weight anymore. And so, and then he's proceeded to call me a coward and say that I would have, he, if it, I was him, he would have fought me no matter what the weight is and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you didn't make the contract or weight. Like, why am I going to honor your agreement? You couldn't honor agri- original agreement. So no, with him, it's more like he's a finisher, but I know what he's about. He's not changed his game. He's not going to change his game unless someone makes him change. And I thank God for the opponents that I've had because his last opponent would be just – I've had amateurs that could be his last opponent. And with me fighting two hard fights back-to-back, you know, with Jose Johnson and, you know, with Tim Estreff, those guys are just – they're legit UFC guys themselves. Tim Estreff, he's fought on Ryzen before. You know, he could fight in Bellator today. Jose Johnson just came off the contender series. Like, I just fought Jose right, after, right off the contender series. Like, he had a contender series fight, and his next fight was me, and we went 15 minutes to a very close decision. So I know what he's about, but I know he he doesn't know what I'm about. He just knows stuff that he's seen, but he doesn't know the type of hell that he will put himself into if he tries to knock me out that first little bit. Because if you don't get me out, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to make you hate the next 14, 15 minutes of your life. Well, it's gotten to that point in the interview where you got to tell me exactly how you're going to hurt him. I like to get a prediction out of all my fighters before I let him go. So, how do you see this one ending against John Sweeney on July 30th? Or uh, probably second round submission, possibly TKO. That's exactly how I see it. I see that he's going to wear down, and once he can't get that finish on me, then it's just going to be over with. And I am totally fine with taking a 15 minute fight. But I'm aiming to finish him. I don't want to do decisions anymore because it seems like Dana doesn't want me to do finishes or finish, uh, he doesn't want me to do decisions or Scott Coker or whoever it is looking at my resume. They don't want me to do decisions. They see that I can go to this. They won't say if I can kill people. So I'm going to do my best to get him out of there. If it's not second round, if it's first round, I'll be happy with it. But my goal is to make it the second round. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Dre Miley who fights John Sweeney at XMMA2 on July 30th. Dre. Thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, man. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and MyBookie.ag. Make sure to use promo code TOPTURTLE for up to a $1,000 bonus. We also want to remind you guys to check us out on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA and Instagram, same handle, at Top Turtle MMA. We always got you guys during fight night, so make sure that you are following us during Dillashaw versus Sanhagen. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will catch you then.